Welcome, Home and Podcast listeners, to this very special interview edition of the Home and Podcast. I'm Jordan, and this week we have the one and only Patricia Richardson, who played our beloved matriarch, Jill Taylor, of course. Patricia was incredibly gracious with her time, giving us lots of fun stuff to talk about, including what it was like to meet famous guest stars like Evander Holyfield and George Foreman, her favorite Jill moments when she knew the show would make it, and her first thoughts as the show finally wrapped up after eight seasons. There's this and a lot more in our two-hour interview, so sit back, relax, and enjoy. Okay, so you are Adam, and you're the one that's 28? Yeah, we're both 28. Hey. Uh, we both... You're both the age of my yeah, twins. We, uh, yeah, we grew up together in Michigan, and we watched the show, and that's why we started the podcast. Yes, I, I gathered that. But you did you grow up in Detroit? Where did you grow up uh, in? Outside of Flint. We're both from we, Davison, it's called. Wait a minute. Outside of Flint? That's right, yeah. Is your family still there? No. Well, Jordan's your, Jordan's family's still there. My parents moved to northern yeah. Michigan. What are, did, are they having the same water problem? No, they were actually hooked up to the Detroit water system, so they didn't have that problem. Wait, I thought. Oh, I see. So yeah, Detroit was. Okay. They're like eight, they're like eight miles east, so it's it's a yeah, smaller suburb. Yeah, very small. So they didn't. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad yeah. for them. Then. Yep. Oh, yeah, it's crazy. Okay, so uh, I will tell you that my twins were three months old and in my dressing room when I did the pilot, <laughs> and I was still nursing them. And that's, oh, why I, that's why I'm so huge in the pilot. Like, I could have picked up Tim and thrown him across the room because um, I had had, I'd had a high-risk pregnancy. I'd been in bed for, let me see, like four or five months. And then after that, two weeks after they were born, and we were so happy they were healthy because it had been, I see. Um, they started getting colic. So then both of them had colic for three months. So my husband and I had been like walking and walking and walking them all night for three months and never had had a night's sleep. So they just had started sleeping through the night when this happened. <laughs> so it, it, it was like, what? I'll tell you that story. I don't know. If we're, have we started We're yet? recording, but we'll, well, uh, so- we'll, we'll do a quick introduction and then we'll formally kind of start things. Oh, yeah. So basically what we have is we have like a list of questions. We got some questions from uh, listeners on Twitter as well. And, um, you know, it's recorded. It's not live or anything. So we can go back and edit and do all that good stuff. Oh, Um, good. So if if you you say anything and you're just like, uh, I don't want that that on there. (laughs) Oh, that's good. Also, because I'm trying really hard not to cuss. Hey, you know, if you do, that's okay. Well, you know, it's all Tim's fault because, <laughs> <laughs> isn't it always the, the set? I mean, those poor children, the things they heard. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and I was just as bad as Tim because I've always been a kind of a terrible cusser. And um, my children, for a while, we had this agreement. I said, "Okay, just just give me. I, you're just gonna. We're gonna keep a running tab, and you can just charge me a nickel when <laughs> I use the f word." Or other words. And, um, and, and so you can just try. And then that was getting very expensive. So I thought, well, maybe we're going to have to make this a penny. And then I would say, forget the money. Forget the money. You know, it's just you don't say what I say. 
<laughs> there you go. Do, do as I do, not as I say. Yes, exactly. But, you know, I think I started doing that because when I was growing up, and I, particularly when I was in high school and college, I always looked a lot younger than I was, and I always looked like Polly Cheerleader. And uh, my name is Patricia, and people always wanted to call me Patty or mm-hmm. Patsy. Right. Both <laughs> names I loathed and felt d- diminished by, as well as this an image that people had of me of being this, like, um, perky, um, dumb person. And, and so I really hated it when people just would sort of assume things about me. And I loved, um, smashing through whatever, uh, preconceived notion they had about me by being completely graceless, tasteless and (laughs) cussing, which was really not the way to deal with it. Um, as my father used to tell me frequently, um, so, uh, yeah, I, I'm trying to get out of it, but, but what happened was I started on that premise and then I started really enjoying the use of those words <laughs> because let's face it, when, when you've stubbed your toe right. or something really terrible has happened, you know, or in my case, broken the same toe two years Oof. in a row, um, it, there's just nothing more satisfying than a the string of really lusciously worded <laughs> sentence. You know, I don't think I've ever heard it described luscious as luscious. Is, uh, that's yes, I mean, word. When you really, really, uh, you know, there's just nothing like it. I've also, also often told uh, my girlfriends and I have sat around talking about how, you know, when you're in labor, you know, the moaning that you do when you're in labor or screaming, whatever it may mm-hmm. be, mm-hmm. it is very satisfying. You know, that's a, it's a release. And um, uh, my, everybody, my, my kids, we all have migraines. And, uh, really? Yeah, bad. Yeah, and uh, I, I used to. I've always taken care of my kids when they had migraines. I used to give. I'm really good at giving like a head mm-hmm. massage, face massage, mm-hmm. little back massage when they were in agony and the pills weren't working. And uh, I would say, just go ahead and moan. <laughs> <laughs> just go ahead. Just go ahead. I don't care. And I think sometimes that that sort of helps. Yeah. You know, in any I'm pretty kind of sure case. there are studies uh, that confirm that. So is that true? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. <laughs> Oh wow! Well, yeah, it's just. I'm uh, not going to yeah, cite yeah, any yeah. sources. I mean, where, where'd, you, um, where'd you find these? Uh, <laughs> my father, my father had four daughters, and he was so sweet because he used to try to do it in Spanish, which is kind of funny because my father's not at all Spanish. But for some reason, he'd go Santa Maria. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> We'd be going, Dad, why are you cursing in Spanish? <laughs> it, it's a different. It's a different level of catharsis when you do it in a different language. I think. <laughs> oh, it was so funny to us. Yeah, we now. I don't think I ever heard him really use a you know that or something like that but you know that was i shouldn't say that either i guess say whatever you want and uh, yeah we can leave it out edit it but out that was i think the worst i mean it wasn't like he is like the sure. word or anything. Well. Uh, but on the set oh my god you know tim had been doing that's an interesting thing i don't know if you've heard this from anyone I had I had never seen Tim do stand up. I didn't even know who he was when they tried to get me to do the show, and I didn't want to do it. And they're trying to talk me into it. Um, uh, but they sent me over his stand up uh, when he had won the Ace Award um, on Showtime, and I, you know, this whole. Do you want me to tell the story of when this came? Yeah. Out? Um, um, that, I don't know. Did, I, I don't think I heard Carmen's thing too, and I don't think he really told that story. No, um, no that's fine. Uh, I had been, as I said. I'd, I'd done three sitcoms before this, before this one. I'd done one that people don't know about called Deadline, which was supposed to be a live show for Fox. It was going to be a live 30 minutes. I was still living in New York then doing theater. And they wanted all theater people because it was going to be live. And I was playing the romantic lead. And we were all working at a, 
uh, newspaper like the New York Post. So it was going to be sort of this yellow journalism sort of paper. And what the reason it was such a good idea uh, so that we could do live news every week. And, and so it would be this newsroom and, um, and, and they would, you know, kind of have a basic plot every week, but then add in news stories from that week, you know, into each story. So, uh, they got a lot of theater actors and, oh gosh, David, who wrote that movie, Miami Blues. Oh gosh. I can't think of it. Really, really good showrunner writer. And, um, and so we got ready to shoot the pilot that night. We were in pretty good shape. And, um, so we shot it as though it would be live as a pilot to show to Fox and <laughs> I did, we shot it. I mean, it was a disaster. You would <laughs> never know that these were theater actors. Uh, I mean, people went up and just looked at each other. Um, the camera work, like there was one scene I was supposed to be doing a scene with the guy who was playing opposite romantically and we're in this little office and we're all ready to go. And the, the, the cameras came up in the different room. Uh, they, they came up in the other room, in the newsroom. And, and we were like, hello, we're over here. And, and, and so that kind of stuff went on. And needless to say, that one didn't get picked up. So that was my first one. The second one was Norman Lear's show called Double Trouble, which went 13 and died. It just had terrible ratings. And so the whole thing died. My contract ran out. And I was in. New- I went back to New York where I still lived. And I was doing um, – I was creating the role of Elaine in the Miss Firecracker contest for Beth Henley. And it was a huge hit. And I was so excited um, to be in this amazing show with, uh, I'd gone to school with Beth and a couple of other people that I'd done a long time. And we had already done the wake of Jamie Foster together for Beth and it had failed dismally on Broadway. And so we were all so happy to be together again and now doing this show that was a success. So we were all thrilled and, um, and then what happened was uh, Double Trouble re-ran again in the summer, and it was a huge success. So they came back to us and wanted us to sign new contracts and do it again. And I, I was like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm doing this play in New York. And they were like, uh, what, are you on crack? We're offering you all this money to go to L.A. and do a series. And I was the series had been um, uh, Katie Seagal's younger twin sisters who were really cute and they were dancers, but the series was just fluff. It was really, and it was, so, um, I I was like, no, 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 no. I want to stay here and do this play. I think we're going to move it. And, um, it's great. And I, and my, even my agents who were then triad, I had uh, this one agent who I kept following wherever he went, this Jenny Delaney got on the phone. She was like, how much money do you want? They're offering like 30000 a week. What do you, and I'm like, don't talk about the money. Don't talk about the money. I don't want to hear about it. Don't. I just don't want to hear it. I just, I just can't do that. I have to stay here because, you know, here I can, this is what I'm acting for, you know, to do yeah. roles like this, you know. And Something you're passionate I, about, you know. Exactly. And I'd already saved money because I'd done like 13 episodes of it before. So for us to have... I don't know what it was. We might've had 30,000 in the bank at that point, you know? So we were like, yay, we have money. So, uh, I was like, no, 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 just don't, don't say anything. So that was when Brandon Tartikoff was head of the network and, and everybody's like, you're saying no to Brandon Tartikoff. And I was like, yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that fits so- into your uh, persona of just breaking the rules and, and doing what everybody doesn't want you to do. Right. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's, that's that's the thing is that if you, I try to tell people this all the time, and I and I try to still um, live by this rule, and it's harder to do now be, uh, for different reasons. But um, is if you're always just doing in your life for for the pure reasons of doing it because you love it, 
um, then you're more likely to get what you mm-hmm. want anyway. I, I used to always say this to my kids when they're in school because all the schools are pushing our kids towards result. I mean, it's always about the gray, right? I mean, it's not about what you're really learning or, or trying to move towards what you love to learn or learning it because it's interesting or because it, but no, it's really about the grade, which is how you end up getting so many kids cheating and, and why we have this culture that we have now where we have this president. I mean, there's this, and I really think, by the way, well, this is going to get politics, but I think Ronald Reagan started the whole nightmare with, you know, the, you got to be a winner. You got to be a winner. You got to be, you know, that whole mentality that started in the eighties of winning and losing and being successful, being the most important thing uh, started in the eighties. And, and I kind of felt like it was really hard to get our children back into a headset of process being more important than result. And, and uh, what you learn being more important and blah, 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 that's gone. I mean, it's really hard. It's very hard to get kids to, I mean, that's just not the way our society is. And, you know, how do you teach that to kids when everything around them is pointing in another direction? But that's a whole nother, another thing. We should talk about home improvement. So um, <laughs> <laughs> um, um, we'll talk about whatever you want. Jordan, well, do you have a you want to start with the specific question? Jordan? Well, yeah. yeah. So we have we have a few written down and like feel free to just, you know, go wherever you want with them or whatever. You, you kind of you were dabbling a little bit on like how you started with home improvement. Well, yeah. And so uh, I, uh, you know, they, they had me come in. They called me one day. What happened was the twins had finally started sleeping. So Ray and I were so relieved. And I had started auditioning a little bit again. Ray had done a series with uh, Judith Ivey for Jim Burroughs that had gone 13 and died. But he was doing that the whole time I was pregnant, which was really good for us because he was making money. And we were <laughs> panic stricken because when we had a second child, we hadn't counted on three. So now we were, oh, my God, three children. How are we going to get them through school? So um, he, so they, they had cast me. In an hour dramedy, maybe it was a half hour dramedy, written by Neil Barlin and Carol Black, who did um, a home, uh, who had done the, um, uh, that, oh gosh, oh, you know the thing that Danny Stern did the voiceover for? Oh, God. Oh, Wonder Years. Yeah, Wonder Years. They wrote that. And now they had written a show called Home Movies, ironically. And Home Movies was going to be a dramedy about a young couple and their baby. And it was, you know, I I was signed to do it originally with Danny Stern, and they gave me a holding fee, and uh, and then we were gonna. This was like March, and we were gonna do the drama, film dramedy, not a sitcom, thank God, in September. And so I was ecstatic because it gave me all those months to lose the weight that I had from, you know, producing a half gallon of milk a day and having 15 pounds of baby, literally 15 pounds worth of (laughs) twins. And so I was like, yes, this is perfect. I don't have to do an audience show, which is so difficult. And, um, And, you know, I can take the babies with me to work and it'll be great, you know, because a film show, you spend a lot more time in your dressing room waiting around. So I was, yes, this is perfect. So. One day the phone rings and it's, I don't know if it's my agent or so. And they said, oh, okay, bad news. I'm like, what? They said, they decided to cancel home movies because Danny Stern decided he didn't want to do it. And then Paul Reiser was going to do it, but then Cadillac men came out and he decided he had a film career and didn't want to do TV. So then Michael Chiklis, I had gone in to read with Michael Chiklis because the ABC decided we would be a good match. And then they decided to put Michael Chiklis in the commish. So we, we still didn't have a husband. 
So uh, they go, well, they decided to cancel home movies, but ABC wants you instead tomorrow, this is a Wednesday, tomorrow, to go start another show called Home Improvement and just go in as a last minute replacement uh, for the, somebody that's being fired. And um, and it's a stand up comic named Tim Allen. I'm like, who? And they said, uh, yeah, and you would start tomorrow. Now they were going to shoot the pilot Friday, but if you'll start tomorrow, They'll shoot the pilot Tuesday. You can rehearse Thursday, Friday. If you need it Saturday, they'll do the camera blocking Monday and they'll shoot Tuesday. And I'm like, I'm huge. I'm huge. <laughs> and I'm, I'm producing a half gallon of milk a day. I have to nurse the kids because they were so big when they were born. They're really hungry. And they eat like every two hours. And it takes me 40 minutes to, to nurse both of them. I mean, I, 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 how could you possibly? No, we'll wait. We'll wait. We don't care. You can go up there, nurse, we'll haul, wait for you to do this. And we'll give you a driver and we'll put cribs in the dressing room and whatever. We'll do it. But, you know, I was like, look, I don't want to be, I've never played a thankless mom part and I'm not interested in playing a thankless mom part. And I really don't want to do another sitcom. I've already done three. I just don't really want to do a sitcom. And they were like, look, just come and talk to the guys, talk to the creators. They created Roseanne. And I went, whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute. They created Roseanne. That was my favorite show. I loved her and I loved the show. And I was like, oh, Excuse me. <laughs> I, I, put one in the jar. I was like, oh my God. Yeah. Oh my, you put that in the jar. I was like, oh my God, I love that show. And so I was, and, and I said, okay, send, send. They said, well, we'll send you the script. Look at the script. We'll send you a tape of Tim. Look at that. And then get back to us and tell us what you So they sent the script. My husband and I did the one page test, which we did on all of, because both of us did a lot of series work. So we did our one page test, which is you open the script anywhere. And in one page, you can tell whether they're writing jokes or whether they are telling a story and creating characters. In one page, you can tell. You open it up and it's like, oh, they're telling a story. They're not just trying to tell a joke every, you know, three seconds. So we're like, whoa, this is good. So we read the whole script and it was a really good pilot script. I mean, and my part in the pilot looked like it was really being developed. She's trying to get a job, you know, that she doesn't get it. He's trying to get it. It was a really good type, very well-written pilot. And I was impressed. And then we looked at Tim's tape and I was like, oh yeah, okay, he's pretty funny. But it's all tools and stuff. My husband, who grew up building home homes with his father and worked construction crews all his life, was on the floor laughing, thought it was the funniest thing he'd ever seen. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. I'm, glad, I'm but, glad somebody likes it. Well, you know, it's a guy thing. And, and, and I was like, okay, so then, yeah, all right. Well, I'll go in and talk to these guys. So I went in and they did a snow job on me. You wouldn't believe. And they told me all this stuff about how, well, it's not being called the Tim Allen show because it's not going to be the Tim Allen show. And it's about why men and women should never live together. And um, it's, it's just as much about Deborah Tennant's book. You don't understand as it is about iron John because you can't just be blowing things up every week. And it's really about, um, it's about two things really. It's about, yes, men, and masculinism and all of that. But really we want the show to be about a celebration of the American family and um, about, you know, man, men and women and trying to make masculinism and feminism work together. And the reason it does is because these two people love each other. And so even though they're coming from completely different places, a lot of the time, what, what we see is how they overcome these differences and how much they love each other. And while he's trying to, um, um, make these boys men, she's trying to civilize them. 
So they're kind of working at, you know, in, at different odds in terms of the way they're trying to uh, raise these men. She's trying to raise them to be gentlemen. He's just trying to raise them to be <laughs> grunting men. Um, they're, they're also what they wanted the focus of the show to be really is this marriage. And, and how does this, how can this marriage work? You know, when they are, she's equally strong feminist as he is a masculine, which is good for me because I was, and there were no women in that production team are really the writing room that had any power. So I was the only woman there um, to kind of go up against these men. Um, I shouldn't say against, I should say collaborate with, which they were very generous to do. Um, but there was no executive producer, writer, woman, except for one year when we had Maxine Lapidus, uh, who quit and left. And as she left, I'm going to tell this story because nobody knows this story. It's the first time I've ever told it. Oh, man. Oh, man. Fantastic. Fantastic. Okay. So when Max left, I didn't know she was leaving. And she was there, I think, the second year of the show. I'm not sure. I had to, I'd have to go back and look. But I, and I, don't, I, I really don't think she'd mind me telling this story. Uh, maybe she would. I don't think she would. That I don't she think she would either. I, I think it's I fine. Have not, I have not seen her since. But I will tell you that the reason I had the carrot costume is due to this woman. So I will be <laughs> eternally grateful to her because it was the – Well, though I, I'll talk about her later, and I did love my customer on that show, Nicole. Uh, this was the greatest costume we had, which was Max's carrot costume that she loaned me that day. But Max was you know, having a big, hard time because she was the only woman who was an executive producer writer. The, the other two women that we had that were fantastic writers, Marley Sims, who always wrote with Elliot Schoenman, who became our showrunner, one of our two showrunners uh, from the third year on, he was a fantastic writer, and he and Marley Sims wrote all of the Jill-driven episodes from the third year on. But Marley was only uh, there three times a week. And, um, and then Roz Moore, who was a fantastic writer, was wonderful but she was not an executive producer writer therefore didn't have all that much power in the room you know so every monday after we did the read-throughs tim and i both went together to talk through the scripts and what needed to be happening and that i I would be the only woman in the room so that got really difficult but anyway how did i get off on this now i'm like wandering away from the subject again Um, that's okay that's what we want Oh yeah, I was gonna. And I'm kind of wandering away the subject, so I don't have to tell you the story because I'm nervous about telling. Okay. Um, <laughs> all right, but in all that right, case, so, let's get back on subject. <laughs> well, okay. So Max <laughs> comes to my room. I open my dressing room door one day. Max is standing there, and 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 she, I, I go, "Hi, Max," and she goes, "I'm gone." I'm like, "Whoa, what?" She says, "I'm leaving," and I'm like, "Oh no, I'm so sorry. That's terrible." She says, "Yeah, I just wanted to say goodbye and tell you you're." And left. <laughs> <laughs> what a send off. I know. I was like, okay. All right. Well, I know that she was trying to develop my character, and I think she was just kind of trying to tell me that that's, that's, that's one, way, one way to say it. Yeah. I know. I know. And that, I, I don't think I ever told any of the other producers that that happened. I, I, I just was like, Okay. Yeah. <laughs> see, you, see you later. Yeah, see you we'll, later. we'll try to carry on. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll try to carry on. But anyway, so um, yeah, those first couple of years um, were the best for me in so many ways because I was so happy that the babies were healthy and I got to bring them with me to work and they became sort of mascots for everybody on the set. And um, there was a big glass, um, the, our big room where we did the re- readings every 
Monday morning was a huge office, sort of a uh, office room with a big long table. We all sat around and glass windows, all the length of it that looked down on the stage. And so when the babies were, who then became toddlers, they were there until they started nursery school. When uh, they wanted to see me, if they were in the dressing room or were feeling like they missed me, the babysitter would bring them into that room and they could like look through the glass and you know, wave at mm-hmm. us and stuff. And everybody down the stage, we'd all wave back up at them. And <laughs> so that sort of helped yeah. um, during times. And that was kind of cool. That was nice. And then sometimes they would just come down on the set and, and, and visit, yeah. you know, yeah. and hang around, hang around in that little grassy play yard. Of course. You know, yeah. Had the back I, I mean, I, I am a, a new father and I work from home. And so she's oh. home with me a lot. So how I old, kind of, how old is she? She's about four months now. Oh uh, no. Oh my gosh, you really <laughs> so, are a new father. Yeah, so it's, it's, oh, I so kind funny. of, I, I just, I totally can see what you mean is just being home with them and being able to experience all the new things that happen like all the time and all that stuff. It's, oh, well, we, it was really difficult because um, John Pasquin, who I adore and was our, our first director for two years, wanted to rehearse in order, uh, which hmm. I've never seen before, because there were so many inexperienced actors on, in the show. So what that meant was going there first thing in the morning and sitting around while they did tool time, which I was never in, or being sitting around, well, you know, because in the first couple of years, I never had a scene alone with anybody. I mean, even if I was a scene with my friend who was played by... um, Betsy um, Randall. Betsy Randall. Tim would have to be in it. Tim had to be in every scene I did. If I was in a scene with the kids, he was in it. If I did a scene with Betsy, if I had a scene with... Uh, you know, I didn't have scenes alone with Earl or Rick or anybody, which was very bizarre because when I had done the meeting with the guys, they had all said, oh, no, it's not going to be a thankless mom part. You're going to have a job that you go to with people that you work with. You're going to have family. You're going to have your own friends. You are, you know, you're going to, this is going to be, we want you to be strong enough so that Tim has somebody to push back against and enough of a character so that you know, so that it's an equal deal between the two of you. Cause otherwise it looks like Tim's an abusive husband. You know, you really need to be able to push back and you need to be a really full fledged, strong character that is an equal with him so that there's a, a equal fight going on here. And I, anyway, so I had had the impression that I was going to be this character they were going to develop and they weren't. Um, John Pasquin and I used to joke because in that first year or two, when I would be coming in from outside we were all really big on it. This is one of the things I loved about the three original writers is that they were very, behavior was really important to them. Reality was important. We would, every year uh, in the summer, they would come and we would talk about what's the next year going to be. Okay. We hang every year on what the reality of the family's life would be. Okay. The fall is this sport. The winter is that sport. This is the time of year for this and the family life. And these are the things they would be doing. And and of course, you know, we worked around holidays. We had the Christmas episode, the Halloween episode, everything shaped around that. And then what other ideas would come up? Um, And so, and, and then John Pasquins was so brilliant at behavior. Like that's why you saw in that first year, the boys skating all around the house. And, um, and there was so much behavior. Everything was around the behavior in the house. And, and so, um, so uh, that's, that brings up a lot of things that I saw in the questions that you were asking about favorite um, things that I remember about the show. Uh, because there was so much in stuff that people didn't know about that had to do with 
us creating the behavior around that home. Yeah. And it feels, I mean, so I have three older brothers. So I, I growing up, I, I felt like that felt like my house. You know, just the boys running around going every which way. They had yeah, all the different things. Yeah, too. I had two sons. Right. Exactly. So, you know, you didn't have to draw on anything crazy. You're like, this is what happens at home. No, I was you know? bringing in everything. I mean, so much in that show is my life. Like the yep. cancer episode was my life. The reason the cancer episode happened was because the, the writers came to my house that summer and we were talking about, okay, what can we do next year? And I said, okay, well, we had a huge cancer scare with my son. Um, we were, we were in Hawaii on vacation mm-hmm. and my son was very athletic and he hurt his leg and we went to a doctor and you know, doctors look at his leg and he said, has your pediatrician mentioned to you that your son has a goiter? And I almost, I just <laughs> burst out laughing. I was like, what? A goiter? People don't have goiters now. Goiter is like 18th century novels. What? You know, what are you talking about? So he showed us the butterfly on his neck and he said, that's a goiter. I went, oh my God, I didn't even know what a goiter was. And, and he said, okay, you need to have that checked when you get back to the, to the States because it, it could be indicative of some sort of thyroid disease. And we're like, huh, what? So we go back and it was a long story that was not the story that we wrote, but we did go through a horrible thyroid cancer scare because this first endocrinologist that we went to handled the whole thing really badly, scared the hell out of Henry, asked personal questions of me in front of Henry. Uh, took too long to get the test results back. And the test initially, the sonogram looked bad. And we found out that um, Ray's family, there was thyroid cancer and everything. We went through three weeks of hell waiting for this endocrinologist to get back to us, which she wouldn't do no matter how many times our pediatrician called her. Uh, We didn't know what was going on. So anyway, we went through the scare. He didn't have it, but he then just had to go every year to be checked. So I'm talking to the writers and I say, I think we could do a cancer episode because Thyroid cancer is one of the easiest ones to cure. It doesn't travel. It's something that we could point out to people because they can all look. You can see it on our neck. And if it's pointed out to people, then they could all go, oh, no, do I have one of these? <laughs> and it's funny. Goiter is funny. <laughs> it's funny. That's right. No doubt There's about nothing, that. Nothing funnier than goiter. And if we're going to do the C word, we can get away with it because that's funny. And it's easy to, it's not easy to cure, but it is curable. And um, I think that's something we could maybe get away with. And so then Elliot, who's so brilliant, and Elliot and Matt, Matt, our original writer, hired Elliot because he he apprenticed under Elliot when they both worked at the Cosby Show, which was another show like ours that was based on behavior and about a marriage and about yeah and they and uh, completely those writers were based on writing, not jokes. They were based on writing a show that was based on on relationships and on story and on um, how people uh, behave with each other and the behavior of a family. And, and so they all were writing from the same place. And, um, and so Elliot said, and, you know, Marley and I had been wanting to write a cancer episode for a long time. We, this is something we really wanted to do. So you're right in the ballpark of something that we've been thinking of for a long time. So we'll think about that. And so then they came back to me a couple of months later and they said, you know, we tried to make it a different kind of cancer, but we had to come back to thyroid and goiter because there just wasn't anything better than thyroid and goiter. And they wrote a completely different kind of thing than what happened with Henry. Um, but, you know, Henry used to, everybody used to say, yeah, that's Henry's story. But it really wasn't Henry's story. That wasn't at all what happened. Our family was a much scarier situation. 
Um, I, I wanted to get back to, um, sorry to interrupt. I just, we were talking a little bit about earlier on the show. Um, and you'd mentioned, you know, when you opened the page, you did the one page test and you yeah. thought, Oh, there's something interesting here. I was just wondering, is there like a moment? Was that the moment when you knew that the show had something special or was there something during the pilot or during the first no, season? It was the pilot. I was astonished. Um, in fact, even, well, yeah, I, we, uh, the first day that I showed up, um, well, okay. I decided to do it mostly because of money, uh, because I didn't think it would go. Um, I, we, there had already, I'm, you're too young to know this. There was a, a, a series called Lenny and it was around a comedian named Lenny and a friend of mine, Lee Garlington was the wife on that one. And she's great. Everybody in it was great. And it bombed. And, um, so that had happened just before this. And so we read the script. It was really good. Tim was really good. And, um, they offered me a bunch more money I was already on a holding fee and I wasn't going to get out of the contract until December. And so they said, okay, we will give you this much more money to do the pilot. And then if it's not picked up in May, we'll let you out of your contract then instead of waiting until December. And so for me, this was like, oh, this isn't going to go. It's another pilot with a sitcom and people have already been like, yeah, yeah, family with a sitcom, who cares? So I, I was like, it probably won't go. It's a win-win. I'll have enough money to where I can really afford not to work for the rest of this year. And I could be with my babies. I just wanted to be with the babies. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, if I do this way, then, um, I just worked for five days. And if I can keep the nursing going, which was my, really my thing, I really wanted to make sure it didn't get interrupted. Um, if I can keep the nursing going, then I can just be with the babies the rest of the year. And then you just get a job and we'll be okay. And, and so that was the intention was to just do the pilot, have fun. I hadn't acted in a year, you know, just get, do that, get, get out of it, get the money and be with my babies. I was so in love with, and my five-year-old, I mean, Henry was getting ready to start kindergarten and I didn't, he was really having trouble having lost both of us to these little monsters that he was jealous of <laughs> because I mean, they appeared and then it was like, we were gone because he never saw it. Cause we were always like dealing with the colic, you know? So I was like, so I have time for Henry again. I'll have to. So I go, I do the pilot first day of rehearsal. I get there huge, right? Because I'm like, I'm 160 pounds or something, you know, and, and just, you know, lactating. Yeah. Uh, you know, you've got so lots of things going I, on. And I come to the set and here's Tim heartbroken because he's lost, not just Francis Fisher, oh, yeah. but he's lost Clint Eastwood. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, he is really upset about that. So, uh, so I <laughs> end up in set. here comes, you know, me, you know, like clunk, clunk, clunk with the big breasts and the lactating. And I come on the set and, and everybody's panicked about being fired. That that's always what happens. If somebody gets fired, everybody on the set starts to feel threatened. And the poor kids, I, I met the kids and they all had this wild eyed look in their eyes. You know, they, they all look like, is it going to be me next? Is it going to be me? And, and everybody kind of is freaked, really freaked. And, uh, so we do the read through and then they all, everybody, and I had so much fun because I'm just like, well, this is gas. I'm getting to act again. And, oh, and I thought Tim instantly, I thought Tim was hilarious. I could barely get through the reading cause I was laughing. So he, he was so funny. And, and so, and then I guess Tim thought I was funny too, because we were both just laughing at each other so much. And so that was like an instant chemistry thing. And I think everybody breathed a sigh of relief because I think they all knew as soon as the first read that we did just sitting around and they were very kind. The producers didn't watch it. At least they didn't overtly watch it where I could see them. 
they kind of went away and just let Pasquin and, and the cast read it together. And I think they, they didn't want me, I guess, to feel like on the spot too much and have everybody come in and watch it. Uh, but we did it. It was great. We put it on its feet. Um, we had a run through that afternoon. I think everybody was really happy. And then, but meanwhile, I'm just still thinking, oh, if this is really fun, but yeah, that's not going to go. I had done countless pilots that didn't go. And so did Ray. And Ray had done a bunch of shows that went to 13 and died. I had done two shows that went to 13 and died and a pilot that went died, you know? So we were just like, it doesn't matter how good a show is. I mean, the two shows that I did FM and Eisenhower and Lutz, they were great shows and they didn't go. So it, there is the quality doesn't matter. It really doesn't. So, um, you know, so I was like, okay, well, you know, so we go to, we do the pilot that night. We, uh, that audience, I, I, I was so stunned. I had one laugh. I, you know, the line in the pilot where I turned to him and say, not tonight. <laughs> he makes a comment about, I don't know, sex or something. Or, sure. And then I, I, I'm ironing. And I yeah. stop ironing and I look at him and go, not tonight. <laughs> we had a 13 second laugh. <laughs> they had to, they had to cut the laughs for the pilot because the laughs, we had 11 second laugh, 13 second laughs. We had to just wait. We just stood there and waited <laughs> while they laughed. It's a good feeling. And I, and I just thought, because I'd done so many of these already. And so had Ray. I'd gone to Ray's. He'd gone to mine. We were really used to them packing a house when you're shooting the pilot with friends and the friends always laugh too much. And so I just kept thinking, boy, did they stack this house? <laughs> Where did they find these people? That's funny. They, they, must, thought, they must be paying them extra. I, that's what I thought. I really did. I was like, God, these people are really overdoing it. <laughs> you know, because I'm really tired of standing here with the iron in my hand, you know, waiting, stop already, you know? So, but I mean, I knew it was funny, but I really thought this was overdoing it. And so, but it was a very successful night. People were just on the moon, the network people, everybody, they're all just going crazy. And I go back up to my dressing room and I'm just thinking, oh my God, this was so weird. And I get into the dressing room and my husband is up there and he looks at me and he goes, well, congratulations. That's the show you're going to be doing for the next seven years. (laughs) And I was like, what, what? And he goes, oh, it's good. It's really good. And I'm like, no way. Really? And he went, yep. And I went, but I, but, but, but I wasn't planning on doing this show for seven years. And he's like, yeah, it, it's good. It's really, 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 really good. And then, uh, and then we started. And I, by the time we started, it was like five months. And Joe, my nursing schedule had totally gotten off because of the pilot. I felt bad about people waiting. And I started pumping. And after the pumping thing and the milk and the bottles, Joe just never wanted to nurse again. So he ended up not nursing, and then eventually I had to take Roxy off. So by the time we started again, we were on bottles, you know, and, but I was still huge. So I felt so, um, I felt bad about it, but the, you know, they had just done Roseanne and they were like, oh, don't worry about it. We don't care. And then in the tabloids, that turned into producers force Pat Richardson to stay (laughs) for the part. I'm like, what, what? How can anybody force me to stay heavy? You think they're force feeding me on the set? <laughs> they just got what, a great what? spread, you know? I know. I was, they made up so much stuff. Right. I, I was really, I'd never been through the tabloid stuff before, and I didn't know how much stuff they just make. Oh, hard to prepare for that, I would imagine. Yeah, I was really hard. And then they started following me around and trying to take pictures of me and my kids. Oh, lovely. Which is, yeah, which is why to this day I live behind gates. <laughs> Well, there you go. I was wondering, okay, you talked about, you know, the great carrot costume that you borrowed 
Uh, we have a question yeah. here that asks, did you keep any props or anything like that from the show? I, it sounds yes. like you had to borrow the carrot costume, so maybe not that, but was there anything no, else? No, I couldn't get that. I would have if I could have. <sighs> um, yes, I did. I kept funny little things. Like, um, I don't know if you remember the episode with Polly Holiday and I yes. where she had given me that teapot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I kept the teapot. I kept the teapot that Polly gave me. And then on the set, we had this little orange juice container that was really funny. And it had like a little, kind of like a little bright little face on it. And I always love that little orange juice pitcher. So I kept that and I kept the teapot. And, um, oh gosh, what? Oh, I kept, and I still have, because I've been kind of waiting for the time. And I did, I kept some clothes that I knew I would want to auction someday for charities. And I did, when I was doing Last Man Standing, I did auction some of those things during Last Man Standing because I'm involved with this charity, Cure PSP, uh, Progressive Super Nuclear Palsy is a disease that my dad died of. It's a brain disease that they now think may be the path to curing Alzheimer's because it's the same, it's the same tau gene that is in Alzheimer's and also in all the brains of the football players and the uh, vets who have head injuries. That, that protein growing in the brain is the same uh, protein that killed my dad in this disease called PSP and Dudley Moore died of it. And, 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 and all of these diseases, these, well, don't get me involved, but go to the cure PSP site. There's a very, very long story that I wrote when at the time, right after dad died about that whole long thing that happened. He died when I was doing, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll post a link. Yeah. It's, uh, he died when I was doing West wing. It was really rough. And, uh, and my mother died when I was doing strong medicine and they were both quite ill for 10 years. And, so I went through mm. this period that started during home improvement when my mother almost died of meningitis during that period um, because she had such bad, yeah. So I was, you know, I always tell this to my daughter-in-law and my daughter um, about having children earlier, which of course neither of them will probably listen to. Uh, my daughter-in-law is 31 and she's a really big deal uh, editor in New York. She does some um, coloring. She's colors and she's the only oh, awesome. woman who can do what she does in New York and is very much in demand. And, and then my son, her husband, is, um, works at Bloomberg. He's a producer, and he makes those um, um, explainer videos. I don't know if you go to Bloomberg. Yeah, he makes those. Well, you know, for them to have a baby, it's going to mean she's going to have to step out for a while, and it's really hard for her to just stop working. But she's already 31. And I'm like, guys, it, don't be like me. I hit menopause, dying parents, teenagers, and the height of my career all at the same time. And it is not a good idea because when you hit menopause, you want to kill everyone, you know, you know, because you are so emotional and you're just like zero to 60, mm-hmm. you know, and then you got teenagers, which would drive everyone insane. Anyway, my grandmother used to say when they get to be teenagers would bury them and dig them back, back up, again. <laughs> you know, so, you know, you got that. And then you have dying parents. My parents were ill for 10 years and my sisters and I were flying in tandem back to the East coast constantly with one surgery after another or one thing. You know, so you don't want all those things happening. And that is what's happening to our whole baby boomer generation is we've got you know, older people taking care of their older parents and some taking care of their grandparents as well. So you had this sandwich generation of, of taking care plus their kids, plus that it's just, so I, that's what happened to me was that, and I got divorced halfway through home improvement. So I have the shows, everything for me is it's sort of like BD and AD, you know, before the divorce, right. after the divorce. So when you see me get really skinny, that's the, the AD. <laughs> episodes because <laughs> uh during the summer uh between the fourth ep- the fourth year and the fifth year i got divorced and lost a lot of weight from just stress and 
they were very kind to me that fifth year, you know, they're kind of giving me a break because that was a hard year. Um, but also, I, yeah, never mind. Uh, you just ask a question. I'm blabbing. No, it's, we want you to be as blabby as you're prepared to be. So I'm very uh, blabby. <laughs> hey, you know, that, that's great. That's, that's, that's why we're here. We want to try something or I want to try something, uh, a little bit of a speed round where I'm going to throw out some questions and, you know, you can elaborate as much or as little as you want, but, uh, there's, there's about 10 of them. So we're just going to kind of work our way through them. Does that sound all right? I feel like I've already been speed talking. I have to slow myself down. <laughs> Everybody in my family talks fast because it was four girls. Uh, and then to get a word in it, a word in at the dinner it. table, yeah, yeah, you yeah. had to talk fast. That's okay, funny. so, all right. All right. So all right. No, pr- no pressure. Yeah, no pressure. I you know. Can, I'm starting to feel nervous. You can pass okay. if you want, but, you know, we'd rather you didn't. Oh, I can pass? <laughs> no. if you, I, I shouldn't have Adam, said you that. Should, no, yeah, actually, what are you doing? Yeah, oh, I'm so a, glad you told me I could pass. There's actually not passing. I, I misspoke. All right. Uh, first, <laughs> first, first question. Um, okay, so wait. We're going to call these the Nazi list of questions oh. that I have... I have no choice but to answer. Uh, okay. I'm going to write them in my notes, I guess. Yeah. Okay. I'm not going to okay, call okay. it that. Uh, first question. <laughs> favorite guest star uh, or non-regular cast member to work with? Okay. I knew you were going to come up with this favorite thing. Sure. And I'm going to say right now, <laughs> I hate it when people ask me for a favorite I'm going to like the speed round. <laughs> I'm going to hate it. And I'm going to tell you right now why. Whenever I was doing the show, people would call up and say, what is your favorite baby? What is your favorite book? Who, who is your... Who is your favorite son? Who is your favorite this? And I would say, I I have too many things that I love to be able to say, this is my favorite, that's my favorite. And if I say, this is my favorite actor, then I'm going to hurt so-and-so's feelings that's a friend of mine. Or I have like 50 favorite movies and 50 favorite books. Or if you ask me which of the four three boys is my favorite son, ask, it's going to hurt never the feelings that. of the boy I don't no. say. And so, you know, the fav- like favorite guest stars, if I say Polly Holiday, who is my mother and I adored working with and was fantastic, will I hurt Bonnie, who was Tim's favorite mother? No, I love her as well. And then, you know, we had had sisters and, you know, uh, uh, Trudy was uh, Rick's wife and she played one of my sisters and I loved her being on. And then the, I had two friends. There was Betsy Randall and Mary Angela Pino. And, 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 and then Doris, the woman who played Doris was always so much fun. And so there's so many guest stars. I mean, we had, oh gosh, um, the dancing episode with Gloria. Oh gosh, I'm having a moment of we had all these old stars mm-hmm. on. Jack Wine, is that his Jack name? Elam? Yeah. Elam, yeah. Elam. Jack Elam was. Ernest Borgnine as well. Yeah, right. Ernest Borgnine. Yeah. I mean, um, I have so many signed things you would not believe still. I have even uh, Evan Holifield uh, Gloss. Oh, that's funny. Who yeah. was terrifying. <laughs> you have terrifying. I, I, but here, can I tell you the Evan Holifield? Is it too long if I tell you that story? There's no, no. Yeah, no such thing too long. Okay, we're in, we had just had the big, huge, major earthquake in 93. And we had to fly, we had to leave the kids to go to Atlanta to do the Habitat for Him Humanities Super Bowl yes, episode yeah. in Atlanta, mm-hmm. right? With all those stars. And we, Ray and I felt terrible. We were really worried about leaving the kids because it had been, everybody in the show did. Everybody was worried about leaving LA because it had only been like three weeks before or something. So we're already worried. So we go there. And the habitat hat we were uh, house we were working on was in slums of Atlanta, really bad slums of Atlanta. And so, and I, you know, Ray was working in my husband was in the episode, and he was working on the house that we were working on. So fortunately, he was with me. Um, but this particular day, he wasn't. And I thank God 
had just happened to see the Evander Holofield fight in where was it where the guy landed in a like from um you know in the middle of the ring with with a parachute. Oh, Did you see that? I, I remember about hearing it? about it where the guy like before the match comes in on a pair like it was it wasn't No, it was in the middle was, of oh, the match. Holofield oh, it was wasn't winning. Planned, though, Holofield right? was winning yeah. the match. And in the middle of when he was winning, this guy interrupts <laughs> the match, stops the match by landing with a parachute in the middle of the thing. And we were pulling for Holofield, these people that I was watching that thing with, and he he got at a real disadvantage because they had to stop the match, get this out. I'm sorry. No, he get you this know what he is. He out. is. He deserves yeah. it. Yeah, get this guy out of the ring and start again. And we were like, this is so unfair because Holofly was about, he was about to win the match. And then this stopped and we were like, this is so unfair because the other guy got a rest. And blah, 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 blah. so I'm bringing this up so you'll understand our meeting later. All right. So uh, we're in the trailer. We're in the makeup trailers, blah, blah, blah. I'm leaving. I'm getting ready to go to the set. And I always at that point, whenever there was a big sports star on the show, I would bring uh, gloves or Mario Andretti, I brought him a car or whatever. Payne, Payne Stewart, I brought him golf balls so that I could get them for um, auction items for the school or at, or and then maybe one for my kids or whatever. So I'd have them sign more than one thing. So I had gloves. I had two gloves for Evander to sign. And Bruce, who is one of our executive producer showrunners, comes and says, uh, you know, Bruce, Evander's here. You want to meet him? And I was like, yes, yes. So I get my gloves. I leave the makeup drop. I come down and Evander is like eight feet tall. And Bruce is like four feet tall and I, and me. And so we go up and we're like looking up at this giant and I, and he is really mean looking, glaring at me. And I mean, from the moment Bruce introduced, he goes, oh, this is Pat Richardson. She's the leading woman on the show. Tim's wife. <laughs> and he's glaring at me because he sees these gloves. Right. And I go, hi, hi, I'm Pat. And I play Joe. Oh, and I wondered if you would mind signing these gloves because, uh, you know, I for charity and for my sons. And I, I know it's a really, I know it's a pain. In the I know sometimes it's really a pain in the but it, I'm going to be getting the whole time I'm talking. He's getting more and more glary and more and more angry. And I'm terrified. I mean, I, and, and Bruce starts babbling. Bruce starts, yes, yeah, Evander, this is Jill. She's, she's the wife on the show. She's, not just that, she's the wife on the show. And he still glares at Bruce, glares at me. So I'm like spinning my wheels down and go, and Evander, I just want you to know. I just want you to know. I saw that fight that you were in where the guy landed, landed on the thing and the goddamn the, the thing with the thing and that stopped the fight. And we were so mad because you were winning and it stopped. It just gave the other guy an advantage. And we were so pissed because it was so unfair to you. And as I'm talking, his face <laughs> totally changed. I mean, it went from, I'm going to kill you to the sweetest smile you've ever seen. I mean, his whole face just relaxed and he started smiling and uh, so sweet. He went to like little baby sweet. <laughs> Teddy smile. bear. Yeah. And this took the gloves, signed the gloves. <laughs> which like, it was like a miracle. I was just like, oh. And then we went to go shoot and I'm standing there with Miss America on the site that we're standing on in Miss America at our meeting. And we're looking at the camera. We're, we, every time we try to say our lines, somebody in a house behind us would scream as loud as they could. Habitat for Hawkins. Habitat for Hawkins. <laughs> and we're like, huh? And all of the men, all the male writers, ran back into this little covered thing that they could hide behind. And we're the only ones out there. The cameramen, everybody, ran away. And and, and the Miss America and I are standing there all by ourselves, looking at each other, going, where'd they go? 
just in the, the cop, like somebody went and got, and I think they were just trying to get paid, you know, to be quiet. Yeah. And, and then they, the cops told us that that was like a drug dealing house and they were really mad that we were interrupting their business. Yeah. Yeah. So that makes okay, sense. that's my Evander story. And I, that's a good Evander story. Right. I mean, of all the Evander stories I've it's, heard, it's good. Like it's, it's, yeah. it might be the well, best I one. I also have George Foreman. And George oh, Foreman was good... so cute. And George was there with a bunch of his children, all of whom were named George. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. Every one of his kids are named George Foreman Jr., George Foreman Jr., George Foreman Jr. Now, they also have other names so that they can tell me. I was like, you know, oh, this is Tom, this is Dick, this is Harry. But they are all named George Foreman so they can all use that name if they want. Oh, that's right. Yeah, mm-hmm. that makes sense. Uh, all right. So I'm not going to say favorite anymore. Nope. I'm going to rephrase it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, memorable. Uh, let's go with some memorable Jill moments on the show, some, some scenes or lines that really stand out to you. Well, I will tell you, you know about Billy Reback and how he would write our great one-liners, right? Billy no, Reback was a stand-up comic. Billy okay. Reback was a stand-up comic who was in mm-hmm. the writing room. It was great mm-hmm. for writing those great punchy one-liners. And he also warmed up the audience for us. So he would be okay. really hilarious warming up the audience. And we were doing the vasectomy episode, which I'm sure you're uh-huh. familiar with. Exactly. And, yep. mm-hmm. And um, he wrote me, one of my best lines was uh, the one about when we're talking to the doctor's office and, and Tim refers to his um, area, private area. <laughs> we say. Private area. His private area. Sure. And uh, I'm trying to remember, how does he refer to it? I, this is not going to be funny unless I, I get the setup. And I'm trying to remember his setup. But my line was, he says something about, well, you know, my man zone <laughs> and, and, or something. And I say, oh, you got a theme park between your legs now? <laughs> and that, that was such a – because of the setup, I know it doesn't – it got – like that was another one of those really long laughs. And I was like, thank you, Billy. Thank you, Billy. I bow down to you. That was a, a great line. Um, I always liked my drunk scene with Wilson when Wilson brings over the cough syrup. Um, and, and Tim has gone out with another woman at playing pool with that woman that was all, you know, Oh, you know, it was obvious they come over and it was obvious to me that she was after him and, and I'm threatened and everything, but I'm also really sick. And, and Earl brings me a bunch of cough syrup. And by the time Tim gets home, I'm completely three sheets of the wind and, uh, questioning him about his date with this woman. Yeah, I like that scene. We just um, saw one where uh, you uh, there it was, was a, the a, exact yeah, opposite it was a book club uh, scenario wherein Tim got kind of jealous and listened to the Madame Bovary tape. So it's good that they got both sides of that. Oh, I yeah, forgot we just that covered one. That. I, oh gosh, I'll have, we'll have to listen to your coverage of it. I don't know. And then we have to talk about our disagreement over how. Oh, okay, we'll, say, we'll save that for the very end <laughs> I, because I, I don't want it to get contentious, and you'll want to just like leave. So no. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just no, 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 no. I promise uh, I won't get I I won't disagree. This is we're not talking about Trump now. We're just That's right. That's true. That. So it's it's not worth it's we not wouldn't, worth like, We wouldn't disagree with you on that either, I'm sure. But uh all right. So <laughs> next uh next speed round. First thing you thought after the show wrapped. Oh, wow. Such relief. Cuz I I you know, I was the one that didn't want to do the show again for another year because I had already told See, Jonathan Taylor Thomas and I were the only ones that had 7-year contracts. And Jonathan left after his contract ended and went on to do other things. I would have if I could have, because I had not seen my children for seven years. I mean, once the twins left the dressing room to go to nursery school, I lived in Santa Monica and the show is in Burbank and it would take me an hour to get home at night. 
And we had long days, five days a week on that show. Whereas most of the other sitcoms in town, by the time they'd get to the, I don't know, fifth year or even sooner, we're going to four day weeks and shorter days. We were still in a five day week and I was still getting home late. Um, we would sometimes not do run throughs until five. And then after the run through, we had notes. And then I, you know, I had a driver because I was going to work with the kids and then coming home with the driver. And then later I was driving, but it was, oh, it was crucifying. And then I would have to like, with the reason I had drivers, I'd sleep sometimes on the way home in the car because I then had a whole nother thing when I got home where, you know, putting the kids to bed, blah, 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 blah. Um, so it was exhausting. And after the divorce, I was then a single mother and the only primary parent in the entire show that was there five days a week as much as I was. His Tim had a wife. All the writers had wives. The, the women that were writers didn't have, Roz didn't have children. Marley had children, but she was only there three days a week. All the other writers had wives home taking care of their kids. I was the only, I didn't have live, I didn't have um, live at home babysitters. I never did that because it's just another person you end up having to take care of, you know, and I didn't want people in between me and my kids on the weekends or at night. I just wanted us, you know, because then you're not having that intimacy with your kids. So I was, and you know, after the divorce, I had them more than he did. So, uh, it was, uh, plus, you know, during your time off, you get like, you work three weeks, you get a week off. That week is the week that you're running around taking care of the things that have to be taken care of in the life. You're getting stuff for your yeah, kids. You're it's not like stuff. a vacation I, or anything. No. And I would go have lunch with my kids because I live near their school. So I would go and have lunch with them. Uh, you're getting stuff for your house, your publicity, your blah, 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 blah. And, uh, and so there's just really, it was exhausting. And I had not had a date, I don't think. Uh, I mean, I, I was like, wanted to have a life. So uh, I was the only one of everybody in home improvement that was like, I was so sad because I knew it was going to be a hard, a hard cutoff, you know, but I also really just wanted to be with my kids. You know, I quit pretty much. I, I was offered things you would not believe I turned down when I left home improvement, but I knew that I could not enter another show for seven years. And, and, and be away from them because they needed one parent who was going to make them first. And that was me because my ex-husband was an actor and he was leaving for three months at a time to go do a movie or a show or something. And I had a two week rule, which is I never left my kids if it meant being away from them longer than two weeks. Now, if I could do something in the summer where they could then come to see me, I think I did one TV movie where I was gone two weeks, then they came to me for the next two weeks, but I never left them. And I was not about to move back to New York or drag them around the country the way my parents did me. And that was also the case with Ray. Ray was moved around a lot too. So we were determined that we weren't going to do that to our kids. They were going to go to one school and stay in one town their whole school life. And so I, it meant that I had to turn down anybody that called from New York and wanted me to go back there and do a play. Or I had to turn down, I, I turned down series, <laughs> big parts of the series because it would be an hour drama and it would be seven years and I'd never see them again. Or if it was going to be a sitcom set around me, I, once again, I'd be like, goodbye kids. And I just felt like they needed to know that there was one parent that was putting them first before the career. And I knew now that I had enough money to live for the rest of my life if I never worked another day. And, and so I just felt that I, so when Humper Proof was over, I pretty much quit working except for little things here and there 
for, uh, I don't know, a year or two. I didn't do anything until strong medicine. And the reason I took that was because they offered me a four day week. I only had them one day that I was working and, and it was an already, it was a, you know, lifetime really under the radar, you know, ensemble show. Um, you know, I knew that it wouldn't be as hard, you know, drama shows are so much easier to do than sitcoms. And, and so I did that for three years because I, you know, I knew it would be seven years. It was an easy thing for me to do. And then when I took West Wing, they said, oh, it's just a guest shot, you know, and I didn't know that it would be three weeks each episode and that each day would be grueling and long and I wouldn't know when they would be and that it would turn out to be two years worth of guest shots. And so after West Wing, I did totally quit the business for four years uh, because by this point now my twins were... Um, really had different issues, but needed me to be home. So uh, I, I completely quit until my last child went to college. And, and then I started going back out to the business. All right. I hate to stop it there, but we, uh, we've reached an hour mark. And so we're going to split the interview into two parts. And uh, so there's obviously a lot of great information that we've already gleaned from Patricia, but she has more to say. We've got to finish the speed round. We've got to talk a little bit about the West Wing and some other things that she did, uh, some more behind-the-scenes home improvement stuff, and uh, finally, she takes us to task when we uh, talked about Howard's End in our review of that. So, uh, stay tuned. Next week, we'll have part two, another hour with Patricia Richardson. 